This is Career Lab with Levi and Bobak, the podcast that features fascinating pathways to success and the people who've navigated their own journeys in this ever-changing and fast-paced modern economy. I'm Levi Maya. Our guest this week is Dr. Wanuk Lee. Wanuk is a beacon of hope for patients facing some baffling conditions. His approach to rheumatology is a fusion of traditional Eastern wisdom and Western medical expertise, making him a last resort for some seeking relief. Stay tuned as we delve into Wanuk's exceptional career and discover the qualities that set him apart. Find out if you have what it takes to redefine success in your field on this edition of Career Lab with Levi and Bobak. Welcome to Career Lab with Levi and Bobak. I'm Bobak Babahanian in the Lighthouse Studio with Levi Maya. Every time I, I come to a recording and I and I get to my, my little seat here, Levi always has something fun waiting for me today. The one and only, if you can see it, Teddy Ruxpin. Levi, I never had a Teddy Ruxpin, but I felt like I had when he was on TV like 23 of 24 hours a day when I was a kid with commercials. And uh, and here he is. Live. I think he was 1986's hottest toy. That's my original one. Yeah. Check out what made him work on the backside. Yeah, he's heavy. I'd probably say he's about... 10, 11 pounds, it feels like. And <laughs> yeah. there's a little uh, little tape recorder there in the back of Teddy. Yeah. He's probably got some back pain from all that equipment that he has to haul around. So today's guest might be able to help him with that. Dr. Wanuk Lee is a physician who specializes in rheumatology. He laid the foundation for his unique approach to healthcare at Texas A&M's College of Medicine, his residency at Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital, and a fellowship at Cedar sinai Medical Center. Today, his private practice is deeply rooted in the yin and yang principles of his Korean family's Eastern healing traditions, blending Eastern wisdom with Western medical knowledge. Wanuk, welcome to Career Lab. Hello. Hi. Hi. Nice, nice to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for, uh, for joining us. <laughs> sure. So does that mean that you get to keep that Teddy Ruxpin, the original? You know, it's funny you mentioned gave that. that to you? Um, there were a pair of Philadelphia, <laughs> I'm a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. There were Eagles socks here one day. I kept those. Yeah. I didn't even ask. Um, I don't think I've kept anything else. I don't know if I want Teddy. I've got two daughters, three and six, so I'm trying to minimize the amount of what they call lovies in the house. So no, no Teddy for me. Teddy is a little quite playing back the tapes at the right speed these days. You know, thirty something years later, we'll cut him a break. <laughs> great mascot for the studio. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah. Well. Um, Let's jump right into it here. First, I introduced you as a rheumatologist, but tell us, what is that? Rheumatology, it is technically the study and treatment of arthritis and its related disorders. And there's a lot of disorders that go in that bucket of things, like pain problems, um, autoimmune problems. Um, and so it's basically that. So we'll meet patients patients um, on all degrees of that spectrum of different causes of things and try to sort out some things easy and some things not, but um, ranging from harmless or relatively harmless to potentially lethal. So it's an interesting and always exciting. It's cutting edge research stuff right now. So when you're in medical school, you've got so many different areas of, of specialties you're learning about and choices. What was it specifically about rheumatology where you said, this is the one for me? I mean, it was the uh, mysteriousness of it, I guess, and the challenge of it. 
it was the one specialty that even the other internal medicine doctors who I thought were really smart would say like, I don't know about that one, call the rheumatologist. And that was impressive to me. When I got into actual meeting patients and working in the clinic, then I saw, wow, this is um, kind of fascinating stuff. It's just autoimmune problems are just seem just so strange. But when you can kind of see how it works and actually see some treatments work, and it gets really exciting to see um, lives get changed like that. And they tend to be long-term disorders. They're not really cured. They're treated, managed, suppressed like that. And I like the longitudinal nature of medicine. That was what I was originally interested in, knowing a patient for a long time. And so that also fit that bill. And then it met my kind of intellectual curiosity. And then I was lucky enough to get a fellowship. And so when I took that chance and yeah, and then it was a whole world of, uh, you know, specialty opens up. So that was, it was great. Your approach is a, a bit different than probably many other rheumatologists. Tell us about that. That's something I adjusted over time. You know, um, when I was at Cedars and fellowship, we we're doing learning the academics of the hardcore things after training. And I was working for a big group in LA and I realized being a community rheumatologist, you see a few of those really sick ones. And, but the rest of them, good 90%, at least in my experience, was um, the more common, the um, kind of mysterious, uh, nothing's really can, can be found, but why are these people so miserable? Why are they in such pain? And these are the ones that tend to get kind of labeled and kind of, um, uh, they don't find the medical system as useful for them. And so I had a chance during my fellowship to study acupuncture. They were teaching medical acupuncture at through the UCLA School of Medicine back then. And it was taught by physicians for physicians. And so I took that training and I realized during that training, like this is what I should be doing for these, what we call soft tissue problems that people have that can be severe and chronic. And I thought to myself, I wanted to use acupuncture to try it. And it's a, like a form of dry needling, basically a needling. And we did a, a lot of injections. We inject a lot of things in rheumatology. Um, and we knew the, just the process of injecting things can often make a difference. And what is it? Maybe the needle itself could. And using some of the technologies of these other traditions, I guess. You mentioned earlier in the, uh, in the pre-show interview that, you know, when folks see you, they've normally seen a lot of physicians and they kind of get to you. Can you tell when they get to you that they feel like this person probably won't have an answer for me either? Oh, yeah. totally. <laughs> and, and, and what's it what's it like when, when you do? What, what does that do for you kind of personally on a personal level? Oh, when when there is a, a good outcome, you mean like when you yeah. can actually find a way to treat? Exactly. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah, it's like that. Um, it, it, I wish it happened more often. I wish I could do it more reliably, but it's like, you know, when you're playing golf and you're just having a rough time, but you have that one great shot and it keeps you going and you're motivated and you want to keep playing and keep practicing. And when you get that great outcome like that, it keeps you going for, you know, that's what we live for, I guess. So one of the things we've, we've really been talking about, um, through, you know, our, our first series of episodes is, you know, folks that, that are looking to, you know, think about a, a career, 
Um, obviously, with with medicine, uh, you know, a, a change of a career is, is a little bit of, of a tougher way to go versus someone on on the younger side. Have you had? You know, um, whether it's family or friends or acquaintances, you know, come to you more or less over the last five years and talk about, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about a career in medicine. Because, you know, you, you hear about the, the challenge with so many different areas when it comes to, to, to nursing. But even with physicians, you know, there's, there's some challenges there of, of folks, you know, deciding to, to go through med- medical school. What, what have you kind of noticed and, and have you connected with anyone and, and given them advice along the way? Um, I guess I don't hear a lot of people changing their careers, being mid-career to go into medicine, but um, into nursing, I I can think of some stories like that. If anything, a lot of the established doctors wanting to get out, and that's been more of the trend lately. You know, mm-hmm. the, we all heard about burnout, and we all have seen how difficult it can be when you're working in a, in the system. So if anything, I hear more of that kind of talk of like, oh man, like this is tough. I don't know how much longer I may all retire earlier than I thought, stuff like that. Have you had any challenges um, like that? Or do you feel like you're in, in, a, in a pretty good space personally? Oh, I always am kind of, you know, kind of questioning up and down. Um, not at my core, but being in, I'm a, in my own private practice and it's just me. And so even when I started it, I was thinking like, this is probably a huge mistake because I didn't know if acupuncture would work. I didn't know if I could use it, if I'd be good at using it, doing it myself, uh, if people would want that or if, um, or if I would be shunned by the community of, of doctors and healthcare, who knows? Um, so I did it kind of quietly, you know, and, um, open as rheumatology and using it, staying within my scope of practice and finding patients that were open to it. And some early successes kept me going. Um, but the business side of things and then the through the years, the pandemic and the social side of things, that was really challenging. Um, but I had to come to my own terms about that, about what I expect out of like business or out of uh, society. And I was fortunate to have a good orbit of patients where I changed my mindset to it's, it's not my money making business or my social service. It's my direct practice on these people, specific people that I see. And pandemic helped me to really hone in on that and commit more time, more effort, more energy, more thought into that. And that has really paid off for me and satisfaction of career. Um, the business side of it is always up and down. I can't control that. Um, the society and how they view healthcare or medicine or doctors, I, you know, I try my best, but I'm one guy and society has its, uh, you know, pushes and pulls that we witness. So just um, anecdotally, I've noticed that um, there's fewer and fewer independent private practice physicians out there. Yeah. It seems like that's the trend, know, even, yeah. even mid-sized practices that end up getting absorbed by larger healthcare groups. And so the independent practitioner becomes a rarer and rarer bird as, as time goes on. What are the biggest challenges that you face just being out there on your own? It sounds a little bit like some of the entrepreneurs that we've talked to, like you have to be brave to take that first step, like, and not be afraid to fail that you might not be good at it right out 
out the gate, which is something that, that can be hard to start a business. But then as you see your business change over time, what are those challenges that you face to just keep it going as an independent practitioner? Um, for, well, I have such a, a, a unique, different angle on it. So once I gave up on the idea of I have to make this much money or a certain amount to make it worth it or to afford it, um, then, and just see it as my practice and my medical practice, I have to practice so I can learn. And this is my time to invest in learning and trying things, especially when I was young and first starting. And so that got me through the challenges that most people would say, which is affording your life doing a private practice. And I can see why the trends, you know, those are, they're disappearing. They used to be most of the practices were private practices, now the very small minority. So it's the trend of our industry. We want more consolidation, I think, in general, is what the industry is going towards. Um, the independent guys like us that are, you know, hold away in our little private offices, um, we're getting kind of like squeezed out. So it's hard to afford it to just stay in business, especially if you have, you know, families and kids and that kind of stuff. And, you know, so it's what you're willing to sacrifice, I guess, and what you're expecting out of your practice or your business. What would you, and, what would you say to like 25, 28-year-old Wanuk? in 2023 who wants to do this kind of work do you see the same path that could be charted today or are there you know are there different opportunities oh, yeah. today yeah if, if if you were that kind of focused on trying something and figure out how to do it your way and your own way and doing it right it's still available it's still totally possible um if you have that kind of angle if you're um, needing to pay off, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of college and medical school, you know, uh, loans, you know, of course, you're going to have to get a job because you don't come out of training until 30, you know, around 30 or later even. And so, and you haven't made much money, if any, before then. But I can understand that pressure, especially nowadays. You know, 20 years ago, we thought it was a lot then, but now it's like even so much more, right? So, um that's just the reality of what's driving a lot of it. And then in different locations, it's like, can you afford a house there? Are the schools good there? You know, you want to also have your life. So those things also drive, I think, a lot of where healthcare workers will show up and go. Um, but the industry itself, you know, I, the young people I meet that want to go into medicine, they're motivated. And I that's what it takes now. You have to really want to do it because it's a long road and it's expensive and you may not get there. Um, so, but it, I don't know if I were to meet me at that age and I was about to, if I were thinking about going to medical school, I'd probably say, yeah, is there nothing else that you'd want to do? Are you sure? <laughs> you know, and I did, I had some friends like, you know, my mother was a nurse. And so we had a lot of her doctor friends and nursemen and our family friends were doctors. And when I was young, and um, a lot of them watched me grow up in the hospital, you know, waiting in the room, the you know, um, for mom to finish work. And the doctors that saw me grow up, I remember I was going to college and one of them asked me, like, so what are you going to study? And I was like, I'm going pre-med. And then he said, what? He said, I thought you were smarter than that. Don't do that. Why would you do that? Medicine's going down the tubes. Don't you know that? And this was in the early 90s. 
And along the way, there are several people who would, and I could see kind of wise, like if you make sure you really want to do this before you go into it, because if you're just doing it for the money or the status, you're going to burn out, you're going to get chewed up. It's not going to work. But if you're really into it and you can hear me saying, don't do it, and you're going to look back and say, no, I'm going to do it. That's what it takes, I think. And maybe this day and age more than ever. I don't know. You mentioned motivation as one of the the key traits that you think younger folks really need. Are, are there some other you know um, common qualities that you think would would really make for someone who's who's cut out to to be a physician? Science minded, I think that's definitely what it has to be. That kind of and I know Levi knows that's that you know, STEM education and that kind of thing. That kind of dedication to science and that's where we're at in medicine that's the future and um it takes that kind and to get into medical school and to get through medical school it requires that kind of mindedness of you're into science you love science biology that kind of thing just having the i want to help people you know that's a great impulse and you need that too but if you don't have that kind of dedication that real kind of uh, nerdism, you know, like you just get into it, you're just in it, and you you don't need a teacher to tell you to study. You just want to know it all, you know, like that. So seeing Back um, to the Future ten times helps. <laughs> you're saying when you say nerdism, it shows dedication. Yeah, you want to know motivation. Everything. All the qualities are right there <laughs> in the exactly. pre-show. Uh, you told us about uh, about seeing that, that film. How many times did, you, did, did your mom take you to ten see times the in a row? Times right, in the theater, when, yeah. when it came in out, the theater. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a lot of money. That's invested. just as impressive as medical <laughs> school, yeah. by the way. In my book, yeah. <laughs> if not more. Thanks. <laughs> I consider that too. So we had we had the family friend that um, told you don't be a doctor. We had your mom who drove you to um, to Back to the Future ten times. What other mentors in your life early on you think led you uh, or, or you know like, <laughs> made you like think directly... you might want to do this despite despite the friend who said what, what are you crazy? I mean, were there others out there who said this is this you can do this? No, it... For me, it started as a kid, and my mom was an operating room nurse, so I'd go with her to the hospital and wait in the, the room, their break room. And so nurses and doctors come through, and they saw this little kid play with me and talk with me. And this was in the 80s in Houston, mm-hmm. Texas. And it was a very friendly atmosphere, and hospitals were very kind of, to me, very like chummy kind of like friends. And, you know, like I have these aunties and uncles, and they were doctors and nurses, and they bring food and play with me. Um and then one day, I was about six years old, one of the anesthesiologists was like, hey, do you want to go see where your mommy works? And I said, yeah. So they put me in, in the gown and a cap and put the shoes on me. And he took my hand and took me into the OR suites. And he op- opened up each door and said, look at that. And there was a guy working on a leg. And the next one was a chest was opened up. And then the the next one was a, a guy's brain was opened up. My mom was the nurse on the case. And I remember opening the door and she looked at me with these wide eyes. Like, oh, I could see it with her mask on. And then the anesthesia was like, do you see that? That's a brain. And the doctor, the surgeon was like, hey, you want to come look at it, kid? And, uh, and I was just thinking like, wow. And I looked at my mom and was like, this is what you do? This is yeah. crazy. I feel like there, that's, that's one brain? or two paths right there. Yeah. <laughs> to be six years old going into that, you're either going to love it yeah, or, or you're not. That's away. what you're saying. <laughs> that's, that's what, well, I was afraid I'd pass out or throw up or freak out. But I was just like, wow. So that's, and then I thought, oh, okay, that's, 
what I want to do. I want to do something related to that. Like I want to be in there. And so I, after that, I was like, yeah, what are you going to be when you grow up a doctor? And I never changed my tune. Um, we ask everybody this. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to know. So we won't hold you to the answer in five years. But what do you think AI is going to bring to medicine in the short term? I mean, people are already probably embracing it and uh, in writing up yeah. summaries and things like that. But how will it be brought into the medical system? Oh, it's I, I think if if it gets a chance to and if the right technologies come along, um, privacy laws, I think, will be a big part of it. And then um, re responsibility, who is responsible for the AI decision, ultimately, like medical, legal, that kind of stuff. But with the opportunity they have to disrupt this industry and as some of the hints of AI technology coming out already, I can see if they can do it right it would just com could completely change everything but you know we have a very staunch old school tradition within medicine and um, our american healthcare system the way we like to train and think and practice and pay for things in this country and so that's another probably another challenge the established people with the money of how it would flow and then the last one is probably how people, what they would demand what, as we as patients would want better out of the system that AI could do better for us. And I could see at every level how it could work theoretically, but we'll see. Uh, but it's definitely coming and we can see it. And it's here in a lot of areas already and it's just going to get wilder, I'm sure. But. By the time we're all old guys, you know, probably <laughs> talking to robots for half our healthcare, right? So, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the show with us. We we really appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's my privilege. Thank you for asking me. This has been just incredible. I feel like I need to I've watch really, Back yeah. to the Future nine times now to catch up. <laughs> my, favorite, catch up. my yeah. favorite film, not just of the era, but like of all time. Of all time, I know. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking wow. before about the uh, uh, before before the recording about um, the the musical that's going to be in. Uh, well, it's in L it's in New York now. I'm hoping it comes to L.A. or Vegas because it'd be it'd be great to see. So uh, maybe we'll have to all go together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm down. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you making the time to uh, to join us on this episode of Career Lab. If you like what we're doing, visit CareerLabPodcast.com to like and subscribe to us on YouTube and get notifications of new shows as soon as they drop. The show's available as an audio podcast on major platforms like Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. See you all next time.